Welcome into another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It is your host, Froggy. Normally, you see me on Wednesdays, but every now and then we like to switch it up just to throw you a curveball. So instead of Froggy Wednesdays, it is Froggy Tuesday on the Stripe Show podcast. And as you know, uh, we are brought to you by Encore Golf, Encore Designs, high performance golf balls for players of all uh, skill levels, all swing speeds. So get fitted for your perfect golf ball today at EncoreGolf.com. The perfect golf ball for you is not the one you find in the trees, and it's probably not the one your buddy's sitting. So once again, get fitted now at EncoreGolf.com. We are coming off the Zozo Championship. Congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama on his victory. And we are talking to somebody who played in the Zozo Championship and played very, very well. Uh, welcome to the Stripe Show podcast. Sam Ryder coming off a T7 at the Zozo. What's Thanks up, man? For, Thanks for having me. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. What a uh, That was a great finish, great tournament. I saw that albatross you almost made on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, it would have been my second this year. I had one earlier this year in New Orleans. Um, at Zurich. At Zurich. Not something that happens very often. But, yeah, I watched the video. I, I People kind of saw it. They saw the video of it. They kind of saw my reaction to the shot, and I couldn't really – I mean, we were 260 yards away, so I couldn't really tell – what exactly was going on, but I was, but we kind of thought me and my caddy Dave were like, did that go in, hit the pin? What was that? So, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. It was a good week. Now you, that's, that would have been your second. So you've already had one. Have you had an albatross other, other times just, just playing golf? No, no. So you've only had one and that was almost the second. That was almost the second. The first one was, yeah, like I said, Zurich this year when I was playing with doc Redman and I, hit a sprinkler head on par five and took advantage of it. <laughs> hey man. So. You know what? They don't draw pictures on scorecards. Exactly. Have you, uh, have you ever had a hole in one? I've had, yeah, five, five, five. Any none, on tour? In, none in uh competition on tour. Wow. That's amazing though. Five is a lot. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, sometimes you have random, like, cause I play with Chess and Hadley at, at uh, Greensboro this year for Wyndham. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he finished 125 on the money list, played great on Sunday, and he had a hole in one on what was it, number I forget, whatever the par three was. That was his first hole in one. So I guess Ever. that's one of the things you have guys on tour that have had like 20, and you have guys that have had like none, which is wow. which is strange. So it's it's hole in ones are one of those things. It's kind of like you go, yeah. There's got to be some, I think it doesn't happen as much on the PGA tour because you're not really going at a lot of pins, but, but yeah, yeah. I'm of the belief that hole in one is more luck than it is skill. And I only say that because I've had three and I'm not very (laughs) good at golf. And so therefore if somebody like Chesson Hadley, who's good enough to be on the PGA tour and he's a damn good player, uh, if he hasn't had any, and I've had three, it tells me that skill is definitely not as involved as luck is. There's definitely an element of luck for sure. And obviously it's a numbers game too, when you're just, you know, number of rounds and stuff. But I've had buddies that played, you know, that are 30 handicaps that play and skull a seven iron and it hits the pan and goes in. So it's right. There's no skill there. There's no, there was no skill there. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to us about the Zozo. How that was your best finish of the year, obviously coming off a good year last year. So talk to us a little bit about the Zozo. Yeah, it was, uh, that was my first time in Japan. I, I actually just woke up, so I'm, fake, I'm feeling a little jet lag. Uh, it's just one of those, it was one of those things where you just, by the time you're getting adjusted, because we were only there for a week, it's like time to go home. So, uh, 
Um, it was a great week. I think the tournament, everyone sponsors, they did a great job. Uh, one of the things, it was just a little bit of a bummer that we kind of had to stay in a bubble, but that was just to really protect the, you know, the people of Japan and their, it wasn't as much for us. I think it was more so we, you know, based on their protocols, it was amazing that we were able to get it all done and be able to play with just everything in place with um, what's going on in the world. So the course was amazing. One of my favorite I've played. Um, like I said, the setup was great. We had a good mix of weather, you know, a couple tough days, a couple windy days, a couple, you know, more gettable conditions. And um, yeah, all in all, it was just a great experience. I look forward to being back. It was great to see Hideki went on, on home soil. I know it was really important to him. And it was funny. He drew a parallel to Tiger had won the Masters and won the Zozo. And he was able to parallel that by winning the Masters and the Zozo in the same year. So I think anytime you can do something that Tiger Woods has done, it obviously gives you an extra added boost. Yeah, Hideki's a great champion. And it was, uh, you know, I think it was great for for the people there and great for the tournament. And uh, it's, it was one of those things because we were on the back nine on Sunday and and you could kind of tell, you know, he's got a little bit of that. It wasn't quite the tiger, the tiger effect vibe when it, when it comes to the roars, but you could kind of tell, you know, through the trees, if Hideki made a birdie or something, heard a great shot, it was a little different noise, a little different roar. Um, so yeah, it was really cool. And he's just, you know, like I said, he's a great champion and he's a great player. He's a great person. Um, so yeah, happy for him. Good to see. It's good to see us being able to play golf around the world again. So you said the protocols, we're obviously a little different. So things are still, would you say Japan is kind of where we were maybe six, eight months ago, as far as masks and the, and the protocols that are going on versus where we are now? Um, I think they're just pretty stringent when it comes to the in, initial uh, like quarantine. Cause mm -hmm. it's, and because it's a small area and they not as big, I mean, I fully get it. And they just, I think for the most part, anyone coming over there has to do like a two week, like a 14 day quarantine. And then right. after that, it's pretty open. Um, I actually have randomly, I have a buddy who's like my little brother growing up who played basketball in Notre Dame. He's playing for the Chiba jets over there. Um, so he went through that quarantine process, but once you get through that, um, you can get, I mean, it's pretty open. So it's, it's not too bad. It was just the, it was just really the time constraint that we had. So they had to kind of push, push through, the paperwork and the quarantine to basically just be able to get us out to be able to play and get right. to and from the course. But um, yeah, it was different, but there was all like a very different, I think almost camaraderie between some of the guys too. staying at the same hotel, getting dinners together. Some, some things that maybe we don't always get when we're all doing our own things and right. um, all over the place, you know, in our own houses and hotels right. and right. stuff. We're it's kind of forced to, we're kind of forced to have almost a bit of camaraderie where we were playing poker, we're hanging out, playing ping pong. And it was kind of like, it's a little different. It was just, it was a little different atmosphere, but it was cool. Right. That's good. It's glad that, you know, we're able to do that and be able to play golf again and go around and travel. I know last year the Zozo was moved here to the States just because they wanted to get it in. So we are getting back to some form of normalcy, which is great. Um, you've had it, but, but you've, you've been on the tour now. You, uh, started on the PGA tour in 2018, four consecutive FedEx cups. You, you've been in the top 125 and made the FedEx cup 
Was, was that a goal of yours coming on? Is how, how does how does that work when you start in 2018? What what are the early goals you set to meet? Yeah, I think the <laughs> I think it's like at you don't even have time to think about anything other than trying to keep your head above water because the way the nature of the way the schedule goes, you finish the tour championship for the web from then the web.com now corn Ferry tour. And I'm going to Napa for my first tour of it the next week. You right. know, and I think I had a great, I had a great year when I graduated off that, uh, the corn Ferry tour and, you know, finished second on the money list. So there was a lot of expectations, but when you get out to, you know, this new environment on the PJ tour, it was really, it was just a lot of like, you know, it's just, you're uncomfortable and you're in a new environment until you really, it's just really impressive to see some of these young guys now that are so ready to win and so ready to play straight from college. You know, I went through kind of the whole process of playing, you know, McKinsey PGA and I played web.com and I kind of went through the whole ranking system right. that they, they have in place. So I think being on my first year on the tour was the same thing of trying to get grounded and trying to get comfortable and trying to really see where I stack up. Because I mean, the reality is these are guys that I've, <laughs> you know, looked up to and right. tried to model my own game after. And it's, and it can be a level of, you know, surrealness in a way. And uh, yeah, I got off to a, like kind of a bad start my rookie year. And it was just really all about, I remember there was kind of a point in my, on my rookie season where I went from kind of, looking around a lot Mm -hmm. and seeing what everyone was doing and readjusting my game to being like, you know, if nothing's guaranteed in this game and you, and you know, like you said, you have to fight to keep your job pretty much every year unless you get exemptions. But, you know, I was like, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging with my own game and the, the things that I did that got me here. So I really just got rooted to, my identity more so as a player and just try to let the chips fall where they may and you know ended up ended up getting through it but you know the game's always evolving so one of the things they say is if you're not getting better then you're getting worse so right yeah it's trying to find that that, balance did you have that moment of like like oh shit i'm on the pga tour like was there a certain player or a certain pairing or a certain tournament or a certain shot where you were like you know what i realized i've you know i'm here I mean, I think I, I can think of the nerves from playing the Safeway, my my first event plan. And I had played in the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills, and that was the only um, PGA Tour start I had to that point. Um, I'm trying to think of a, like specifics, but I mean, really, it was like, I think it was just in general. I think there was just, you know, times where, you know, Henrik Stenson's hitting balls on the range or you're, you know, I was at Copperhead and Tigers playing a practice round and, you know, you just, it, it's just such a different, you know, it's, it's the same feelings that you get at every level though, I think in a way. So I really just tried to draw back to that, you know, whether it was college golf trying to win the first time or right. professional golf or whatever. Um, it's hard to think of specifics. I mean, I played with me and me and Ricky um, got paired together. I think on the last group on Saturday in Houston, when mm-hmm. we were still at the golf club at Houston right before the masters. And I had, it's been a, it was a trying year to that point, but I remember getting paired with Ricky and it was, you know, it was my first experience with some big crowds right. and we're in the lead. And, you know, I ended up burning my first hole and had wow. all the nerves and all the adrenaline and, 
you know, ended up finishing fourth. And that was a big, I played with Cooch on Sunday and, you know, um, was able to just kind of barely better Cooch and just playing with some of these guys that are like been rider cuppers and, and stuff like that. And, and, and you really don't know what's going to happen, but being able to have a certain level of success through some of those times where you're really uncomfortable. And, uh, that's kind of what I've been able to draw on the most. And yeah, it's just, it's just all about, it's all about just trying to, I think I've said comfortable like four times, but I think that's, I think my, my key of just being like, everyone has to really gain that. And there's, there's not a lot of, I have a certain level of scar tissue because I've played at through all the levels and I've missed cuts and I've had the the down times, you know, a lot of these young guys that have just one and one and one, there's not a lot of scar tissue. And hopefully for them, they don't have to have any, but at some point or another, it usually happens. The game is going to humble you to some, to some extent, you know? Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. Cause that, that's what golf does. I mean, it, it does it to all of us, whether you're an amateur or whether you're playing at the highest level, what, right. what would you say that, that you're working on or that you're doing that will help you get to that next level? Cause I know you've made the FedEx cup all four years, but, but now it's trying to get, instead of finishing, you know, 109, 110, how do you finish 75 and make, and, and then make your way to Atlanta? Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, uh, it's just really, it's gets really dicey when it comes to trying to find weaknesses and things you can get better at without kind of it being detrimental to your game, because I've right. gone through that time of trying to do certain things and it almost loose you almost can lose sight of a lot of your strengths. So I think right now for me, it's a lot of it is just sharpening the more so the things that I do well and just kind of managing some of my weaknesses, not necessarily trying to turn them into strengths. So like, you know, my rookie year, I was out, I was probably like around 180th in strokes game putting, Uh you know, and I was first in ball striking and I was second in greens and regulation. Um, so I had a pretty clear right. idea of what my strengths and my weaknesses were, right. you know, and then I made a huge jump my next year um, in putting, but it's like, I'm not going to, I don't have the mindset of I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and be Jordan Spieth or I'm going to be, you know, 2000 tiger. I'm going to, you know, I, <laughs> I just want to be, I just want to have, you know, bring rain in some of those weaknesses to the point where they just don't kind of cripple some of the strengths that I have. Right. And I so think we all being a weakness, it just can kind of be middle of the road. It isn't yeah, you don't be great at it, but don't be bad. Exactly. At it. It, you know, the guys that are the, the John Roms, the super elites, those guys are great across the board. Justin Thomas, they don't have weaknesses really, but for most of the normal golfers, you know, I say normal golfers, but great players, you know, they have, they have certain things that they just have to be, it's okay to be average or 50th or 75th or whatever on tour. And I think that's a lot of, what I'm trying to do with, you know, letting my ball striking kind of be a strength of mine, my iron play, things like that, things that have always been kind of my identity. And I think that's what you see with a lot of guys and the tour is obviously getting younger, but you see a lot of guys play their best golf in their thirties. And I think a lot of that is because they, they found out their identity. There's not a lot of guys trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, when they're 32, 33, 34 years old they're pretty established. You got a guy, guys like Kisner, you got guys like Zach Johnson, guys like Cooch, these guys that have had great careers kind of doing it the way they do it. 
they're not trying to go. I think every kid coming out of college wants to be DJ or Rory or JT or John Rom, you know, right. and the reality is there's not, you know, there's not that many of those guys. And I think people start to find their niche and, and you can have a lot of success, you know, being, you know, who you are, I think, instead of trying to be, you know, one of those other guys. Yeah. You know, Sam, you bring up a good point there in that distance has really become the topic of conversation constantly on the PGA tour. And I know that a lot of it now recently, as we talk about it is, is, is Bryson driven, but let's be honest. It's the, the, the talk of hitting it far has been around for a long time or trying to hit it farther. And you don't hit it short by any means. I mean, you're, I think your average drive right now in 2022 is 300 yards. That's not short by any, any stretch of the imagination. Is this something you've ever chased or thought of chasing? Definitely. Definitely. Um, I think I can think specifically to, it was after, after I kept my card my rookie year. And then I went into the fall the next season and had a couple of good opportunities to win almost, you know, finished third at Shriners in Vegas and, you know, missed a playoff by one at Napa. So I basically kept my car in the fall. And then I had, I had, uh, you know, a little bit of a disc issue and I had injuries. And when I kind of had some of this time to, to sit down and I also had the comfort of keeping my job already, basically I got into that. I was like, okay, like I'm not playing a lot of golf. I also don't have a lot of the pressure to wear, I like need to just go out there with my game and just try and get the most out of it. It was kind of like, what can we do now? What can we, you know? And I think I, that's right when I really tried to like, I I mean, make some actual technical changes in my swing. And I think it was just a product of the whole environment, you know, the Bryson environment, Rory went, went through the same thing. You know, he's talked openly about it, you know, guys look at the top 10 in the world who of those guys really doesn't hit it long you know right for the most part so what's more important to you hitting it long or hitting it straight i think (laughs) i think it's been tough for me to i don't i think i'm right in the middle i think Mm -hmm. i'm right i mean i think i'm not like i said i'm not if you dominate the strokes game off the t stat it's distance driven, you know, cam champ can win that stat. Bryson can win that stat, not hitting fairways because they're hitting it so long. That's the way it's measured for me. I can be a top 20 in strokes gained off the tee, but I have to do it by hitting a lot of fairways, um, you know, and playing my game. But yeah, I think it's, it's just, I completely had to rein that in. And it's some habits that I got into with my swing that I'm still trying to get out of to a certain extent now. Um, And I think, yeah, I think it's just really, it's amazing what Bryson's been able to do. And it's just, I think that's just the shape of the way the game has been progressing. But I also look to guys like Colin Morikawa or or guys like that, that, you know, are winning majors and are playing their own games. And there's still so many courses, I think, that you can't overpower. You know, there are certain places where, you're like, okay, Bryson, he can just rip driver everywhere here and kind of play a different golf course. Right. A lot of the great courses we play, you can't do that. You know, yeah, whether it's Sawgrass right here. And I know you, you and I are both in the Jacksonville area. Yeah. I love that golf Perfect course, but example. you're not going to overpower that golf course. You're just not. Perfect example. So I think there's, and I think that's one of the challenges too, with course design and setup 
that's really hard. And that's, that's really tough for the officials set it up and the tournament set it up to try and be able to do that without making it, you know, too goofy or too funky. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the future of our game is necessarily playing 9,000, 10,000 yard courses. Um, I certainly hope not um, right. because then it's going to make it a lot harder for guys like me for sure. But and for um, I think there's, I mean, you're going to, you're going to make it so amateurs can't just can't score. It's not relatable, golf. right? No, like, not at all. And that's yeah. one of the things that's great about our sport. And I've said this before a hundred times on this podcast is that football's great, but unless Tom, unless you're going to go get Tom Brady to throw you the ball you, and, and, and you're going to have, you know, uh, Jalen Ramsey guard you, you're, you're not really playing the sport the way they play it. And the same with baseball, the same with, with tennis. Right. Um, I say that about basketball too. I was like, you're not going to go play fives with LeBron James. No, you're not. But But you can go play with John Rom. Right. Our sport, you can go to TPC Sawgrass, you can tee it up and you can see exactly what it's like to play from the distances that that you guys play from. And that's one of the things that sets our port, our our sport uh, apart from all others. But like you just said, if we get to the 9,000 yard golf courses, it's going to be a detriment to the amateur game, which is where we're growing it. Do you feel like you are constantly overshooting greens or coming up short because you choose the wrong club? Well, if that's the case, today is your lucky day because I'm proud to announce my brand new partnership with the boys over at Pinned Golf. Their brand new Ace Rangefinder is amazing, and it's only $199. I've been using it for a couple weeks now, and I was blown away. With the quality, it has a slope technology, pin locked vibration technology, so you know exactly when you are locked onto your target tour lever accuracy. And best of all, it is powered by a USB charge, so you can forget about those little batteries. Every other rangefinder makes you buy one forty-five minute charge, lasts you fifty plus rounds. I love it. Our friends over at Pin Golf are hooking up all of our listeners with $25 off and free shipping when you use code STRIPESHOW. That's code STRIPESHOW. I'm telling you, for $175, you simply cannot beat the Ace Rangefinder. Head out over to pingolf.com and get yourself the Ace and get dialed in. Yeah. Um look, I'm not I'm not the guy making those decisions and I'm not and I I think I put trust in a lot of the people that are the ones kind of governing the governing bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's been controversial, you know, comments from everyone from, you know, Phil to whoever, you know, Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't want to be the one that that has to control that situation. If there's any kind of insight that, you know, I like you got a guy like Jason Gore now working for the USGA and stuff, helping with tournament setup. I think what, from a player's perspective, a lot of us love that because he played and he's relatable and guys like him. So we feel like we have one of our guys and not saying like there's a big battle between the USGA and the tour and things like that. But, you know, we feel like we have some skin in the game when you got a guy like Jason Gore in those rooms kind of making decisions too. So I think, you know, when it comes to dialing the driver length and stuff like that, it's not affecting me as directly, you know, but yeah, man, you're think, not playing a 46 inch driver, are you? Right. But when, when it comes, no, I'm not. But when it comes to the amateur game and the professional game, it there, maybe there needs to be a little bit of a line there too, because, you know, amateurs, it's, 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 it's kind of not the same game in a way, you know? And when, 
when guys are teeing it up for maybe a $10 million purse or something like it, it maybe necessarily shouldn't be the same set of rules because it's not that relatable in terms of what we're doing, you know, right. but I, like I said, I don't know the answers. I don't, I definitely don't have them. And, um, you know, I trust that, you know, we have the right people, you know, in place to make those. And I think part of the, the tour with the, with the player committee and everything like that, I think we just got a lot of people that are kind of, I trust to, to try and lead us in the right direction. We had Jason Kokrak on uh, last week and he thinks that golf courses should be set up a little more difficult, that things have become a little too easy. Is that something you would agree with? A lot of that stuff is just the nature of that could be the nature of the weather and the environment too. You know, I think, I think it's a good mix. And I, we, I was having this conversation with someone from the tour yesterday, but you know, the people, the fans want to see guys getting beat up and shooting over par and that's relatable in a sense. But that's guys very also, relatable, by the way. <laughs> but, but guys also want to see albatrosses and eagles and birdies and you know sixty fours and stuff like that. Yeah, too. I mean, I love a drivable par four. I mean, I will sit down and watch a drivable par four all day long because yeah, risk reward's great. Yeah, I mean, and there's some good ones. Whether you're talking about ten at Riv or you know Travelers number six fifteen or whatever it is, but yeah, I think there's. I think it just, let's just have a good mix. I don't think it needs to be, we don't need to play the same tournament every single week. We don't need to play the same kind of golf course every week. They're all so different from where we're at in the country to, I mean, you can make a course like Torrey Pines really impossible if you want to. If you want to have the rough be six inches long and the greens be rock hard because they're not usually facing a lot of rain, you know, so they can kind of control the, you know, the firmness of the greens. But at you know, at certain point or another, it just becomes <laughs> maddening in a way. So right. we'll see. I mean, I think pretty much any week they could control the rough lengths to where they make it extremely hard. And sometimes you can't do that with the greens because rain or weather can be kind of a, a determining factor there. And right. if the if the course gets soft, there's no course that you can make hard enough for these guys. You know. If they can, if they can hit a five iron and stop it, you know, on a tier where a pin is, they're right. gonna, someone's gonna be doing it for sure, for sure. So, I mean, they, I mean, you guys are the best players in the world. There is no doubt about that. Um, when I look at your approach game, your iron game really seemed to turn around in July. Is there anything that just clicked? Is there something that changed? I mean, it's always it's it's just kind of the same things I've always done. I like to hit a little bit more of a, I'm kind of a little steeper, a little cuttier kind of player. So I've always been better with my irons. I've been more of, that's been a strength of mine. Like I said, I was, you know, I was fortunate to be, you know, up there in greens and regulation and ball striking my rookie year. And those are stats that I never really thought about. And then when you kind of see it after the fact, I was like, Oh wow. I didn't realize that at the time, but so really it's just like I've validated the fact that those things I do well. So really I'm just constantly trying to continue to, you know, I have a plethora of old golf swings on my phone from, you know, my web.com days or my rookie year and stuff. And I'm always with my coach, Adam Schreiber. We're always just trying to do little things to tighten things up. And right. I wouldn't say there's, you know, I was technically I was battling kind of getting a little too lifty at the top, my right arm kind of like, would get 
get a little disconnected. So I'm really just right. trying to make sure everything's a little deeper because I'm more of a rotational, rotational player. I like to play with a stable, not as handsy club face through the zone by through rotation. So, so you really more left. You're more left and more, yes, and, exactly. and more pronating your arms to, over. And so, yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't swing and you kind of get it. I, I can tell I couldn't swing it left the way I wanted to because it was coming down on a line that was a little too steep. So mm-hmm. it became a little too cutty. So path was a little too left. So I basically setting up something that had a little bit more depth at the top in my backswing and allows me to really just rotate and I can kind of just turn and, and swing it left and kind of hit my more of my controlled shot. Right. So you're, so you're more of a cut player than a draw player. Yeah. I like to work it. I like to work my irons a little both ways when I'm playing my best, but I like to hit like a cut from more of a zero. If you're talking track man and getting technical, I like to hit a cut from more of a zero pad where I'm really using my body rotation to keep the face from shutting, then have it be really handsy and, and swipey or cut a cut across it a whole lot. What's something you and Adam are working on right now in your swing, like a swing thought that you have going on right now. Uh, I'm trying to get a little bit, I'm trying to get a little bit of not to get too geeky and everything. I'm getting, trying to get a little bit more external rotation in my right, basically going back. So I'm like, I'm, I have a tendency to kind of keep it this way. Uh My right arm really stays on top. And that's a lot of my pattern from playing baseball and throwing. So Uh I'm just trying to get a little bit more of a feel of the club kind of getting a little bit of that external rotation to where my right shoulder doesn't get so jammed up this way. And it kind of stays down and back to where I can really just feel the club, you know, widen transition and, and swing it around me, you know, and I'm always trying to work on the same things. People that, that have seen me, they, I always do the, a drill where I keep my right foot back. So I'm kind of like on my left foot, my, I'm a right-handed golfer. I'm kind of on my left side and my right foot back drill that like Nick price did tons of guys have done it. Just trying to stay in the shot and be able to, you know, rotate around the corner. You know, there's a lot of talk lately. We always hear people talking about shallowing the club, shallowing, shallowing, shallowing. And you said you're more of a steep player. Is that something you've, you've ever worked on shallowing the club or is that not something that you need to do with the way that you swing? Yeah, I, I've always. Or shallowing the club, just a bunch of bull crap. It's just like somebody just invented it now. (laughs) No, I've had a lot of natural shallowing in my, just my move in general, but there's so much to do with your body. And that's, and that's one of the great things about golf is we have access to Instagram and the social media and the YouTube channels and all this stuff where guys right. love to geek out about it and they love to learn and they can, you can subscribe to, you know, a, you know, a coaching service or whatever, but you know, it's so hard because you know, your the way your body moves is probably not going to be the same way my body moves. Right. And unless, you know, there's so many factors involved to where, yeah, shallowing is kind of a buzzword for sure. But you know, back in the day, guys used to always kind of just try and get it on plane. Uh-huh. They tried to plane it out and then right. keep it on plane. And now it's, I think that's a little bit, that's part of the power, you know, the power movement is the shallowing is supposed to be, it's kind of, it, it's like a speed power move a little bit, but it's really hard unless it's something that happens innately, I think with your body and the way you move and your natural tendencies then it's hard to kind of create because it's not going to end up being, it's not going to translate into speed when it becomes a cognitive kind of like manipulation of the club and the shaft. You're sacrificing your natural, you know, rotational speed and and power, I think by your head getting in the way of kind of trying to put yourself in these positions. But 
I don't know. It's just everyone's different. I mean, you watch a Matt Wolf. I mean, good luck trying to swing like Matt Wolf. Right. You know, that kid, if he tried to swing a different way, it would probably be a struggle. But George, I think his coach has done a great job of, you know, trying to bring out the best in what he does. You know, I think Mm -hmm. Butch Harmon's always done that too. Um, I don't think Butch Harmon would get overly caught up with teaching guys about trying to shallow the club out. You know, I think he's, he's old school and he's always had so many different swings and tries to teach guys um, how to get the most out of their own game and their natural kind of movement. Yeah. If you look at Butch's best players, I mean, look at DJ, look at Phil completely two different opposite movements through the, through the ball, but yet both are extremely effective. So, you know, there really is no one swing fits all. So, I see that with a lot of guys like, oh, I want to swing it like so-and-so, or I want to swing it like this guy. Well, you're like you said, your body probably doesn't move like his. Right. And so that thing you're trying to do, maybe your body won't even do that. Right. You don't even, unless you have a world-class physical therapist or someone, a TPI person that can give you an assessment on stuff like that, you might not even have, you might have answers to those questions before you even pick up a golf club, you know, right. physically. So. I- I think being natural and I do, I do clinics at times and I'm doing, you know, it's really hard because the things I work on necessarily could be almost detrimental for someone else to work on on their swing because, you know, I'm also going to the gym two and a half hours before I go to tee it up. And these guys might be going straight from the parking lot to the tee, you know? Right. Well, I'm sure you (laughs) see some fun swings during pro-ams. I'm sure you see things here and and you hear the same old, Oh, I'm not, what or, or what that person thinks he's doing is completely opposite of what he's really doing. Right. Real and feel are definitely something that are, that's something that people talk about in golf and, and yeah, you, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope too. When you start to film your swing too much, because mm-hmm. sometimes you almost be better off not even seeing it and just kind of doing what's natural and what feels right. Yeah. And if you film it from the wrong angle, you're getting then you're true. looking at it all wrong anyway. So that's you true. Know, if you're not filming it from the hand path. And about exactly. hand level, if you've got the camera behind you or the camera out in front of you at the, with the ball line, it looks totally different. So now you're going to screw yeah. up whatever you're doing that maybe was right. Exactly. It takes a trained eye to kind of know, <laughs> yeah, to, to decipher through some of those things. You get, to, you get on YouTube and you start seeing Tiger Swings and Anthony Kim and Rory and stuff. And you're like, all these angles, if they're changing just a little bit, because right. who knows who's taking this video. Right. Then, and is the camera even it's steady? <laughs> exactly. Moving around. Exactly. I can't help but notice in the background, you got an Emmett Smith jersey. So you're a Cowboys fan. And then I also see over your other shoulder, you got a Julio Jones, uh, Atlanta Falcons. So who, who who's your team? No. So actually, I'm not a, I'm not a Cowboys fan. And I'm actually, these are just jerseys I bought at oh. Chris DeMarco's charity, oh, okay. charity event over the years. So I've... <laughs> I did. I purchased a couple of these jerseys. I just like it was more of a player driven thing. I mean, and well, I love him. Like, I'm, I'm a Gator. I, like, I love him. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, he's in the goat conversation when it comes to running backs for sure. Oh. And then Julio Jones, I just, is just a freak. And I mean that in the best possible way. He's yeah. I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So I was glad to get him out of the NFC South and over to the AFC, play for the Titans. Yeah. And the only way we'd have to see him is in the Super Bowl. But Right now, the Bucks are having an unbelievable run with Brady, and I'm just enjoying it as long as it as long as it can possibly last. Yeah, exactly. They're they look like they're going to be tough to beat right now, so we'll see. I mean, it's 
you're, it's pretty crazy what that guy's doing at his age, and he just looks like he's getting better and better still. So it is unbelievable. I mean, he's forty-four he's years hit, old. You know, he's no, no, hit at all. He's protected. No. He looks so comfortable just being able to step in the throws and just. It's like that guy's so dangerous. With talk about IQ and you know, right? Offensive and all the weapons, stuff like all the weapons he has now too. He he didn't have. You know, they had championship teams, but did he ever really have weapons like that in New England? They always kind of like, at the start of the season, they were like, do we, (laughs) those guys ended up becoming great players because I think he made them great. Right. Exactly. But it wasn't like on paper at the start of the year, you were like, oh, look at all these weapons, you know? No, I mean, I know he had Randy Moss. I mean, yeah, he had exceptions. And he had Edelman and these guys were good, but he's never had the likes of Evans. Uh, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronk, yeah. Leonard Fournette. I mean, it's it's unbelievable the guys he's got around him. Right. And it does seem like no matter who gets hurt and what goes down, Brady makes the next guy step up even better. Yeah. He's he's a yeah, he's a coach. I mean, I'll be interested to see what happens if he ever if he ever does step away from the game, but it just feels like if his mind is not involved with the game in some sense or you know, another, then it's Maybe he'll take a sabbatical and step away for a little while after he's finally done playing and be with yeah. his family. But it just feels yeah. like he belongs in a locker room or something, you know, in the he booth does. somewhere or something. We, he's unbelievable. He, he to, to me, in my opinion, and I'm a little jaded, he's ended the GOAT conversation in football. I don't know how anybody thinks that Tom Brady is not the greatest football player of all time. It's unbelievable what he's done. Yeah, I'm still doing. And I think – watching what you know what watching everything unfold with the patriots and that and you know i think when he initially left people didn't really realize there was still a little bit of question marks kind of with the Belichick brady dynamic right Right. and i think almost everyone now they're just like okay well okay brady i'm not willing to say it's a hundred percent but i think i I thought it was 50 50 but i'm thinking it's 75 25 now yeah, he's obviously a great coach, but people didn't know. Oh, was Belichick making Brady so great, or was Brady making Belichick right. great? And it was like, right, okay, well, yeah, everyone's no, kind of looking to Brady a little bit. Well, before we let you go, I want to do our uh, emergency nine. It's never bad to get a quick nine holes in. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and all you have to do is just give me whatever answer comes to your mind first. You ready? This sounds scary. I don't, I don't know about this. All right, here we go. They're good questions. I promise they're easy. Okay, perfect. All right, number one, you buying it on Amazon or are you going to the mall to buy it? Mall. Really? That's two in a row that said mall. I'm yeah. an Amazon guy. I'm like, I don't want to leave the house and this. I'm just, it'll be, it'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going. Best shot you've ever hit in your life. <sighs> I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Wow, that's tough. Um, I'll default to the albatross at Zurich this year. That's the easy answer. Probably not the best shot, but I need more time to think. When you're on the golf course, what kind of music you uh, blasting? Um, I change it up, but more hip hop than anything else. All right. Who's your favorite player on the PGA Tour to play with? When you get that pairing sheet, and it's like, yes, that's my boy, JJ Spawn. Actually. It's a tie between JJ and Kelly Craft. Kelly Craft, all right. Uh, what shows are you binging right now? Um, honestly, I've been watching Seinfeld. Really? I'm old school. I like Seinfeld. I like to keep it light. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to binge Squid Game, though, this week, probably, since I'm not at a tournament. 
Yeah, a lot of people are saying uh, Ted Lasso. I haven't watched Ted Lasso yet. I watched it. I binged that one. It's good. It's, it's good? It's good, yeah. All right, so I'll have to watch that one. It. All right, beer, booze, or wine? Let's go uh, wine. Wine, all right. Uh, wake up in the morning, head to the golf course. Starbucks, or are you just grabbing a hotel coffee on the way out? Mm, I'm going for the best coffee I can get. I'm a coffee snob. Okay. Your social media platform of choice, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or are you into the TikTok challenges? Instagram. Instagram, yeah, I love IG too. All right, last but not least, Halloween right around the corner this weekend. Costume, slutty or scary? <laughs> uh, scary. Let's see if scary. I can scare some, scare some trick-or-treaters. <laughs> I don't want to dress slutty, but I like the slutty costumes. But yeah, I think if it's for okay, me, fair enough. I'm going scary. But actually, here, I'll show you my costume. I have it right here. I'm doing Superman this year. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I so like it. my the abs don't look like that, too. but it will when I put them on, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, what's your uh, what's your schedule moving forward? When will we see Sam Ryder again? Um, I'll be in Mexico. I'm going to play in Mexico, Houston, and Sea Island. So I'm going to be here home this week and enjoy. I'm looking outside. It looks like it could be a nice beach afternoon today. Yes. So, um, yeah, we got good weather today. We'll get good weather tomorrow on Wednesday. I'm Thursday, some storms, and then Friday be nice again. Of it. Yeah, so early in the that. week, and then I'll 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 be more in the gym and and practicing for the uh, for the weekend. Good deal, man. Well, Sam, thank you so much once again. Congrats on your uh, on your high finish at the Zozo, and good luck moving forward in the rest of the uh, 2021-2022 wraparound season. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back next week. We have got uh, Brendan Todd will be here on the Stripe Show podcast. And I'll be back on Wednesday, so your week will be back like normal next week with Froggy Wednesdays with Brendan Todd. But once again, thanks to Sam Ryder, and thank you so much for listening to the Stripe Show podcast. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest Gold-Rated Elixir and Low Compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.